Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Phil Tiger. Slacker Podcast. Hello, Slackers. I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I hope your lockdown is locked down. I hope you're self-isolating in care. I hope you um, absolutely reek of antibacterial wipes. Uh, I hope you're wearing a goldfish bowl on your head, uh, rubber gloves on your hands, and uh, are living in a little bubble. I don't know. That's what it kind of feels like at the minute, doesn't it? It's all a little bit grim. Um, so let me, let's let's take your mind off all of the craziness that's happening. Put down your phone. Stop looking at Twitter. Stop uh, opening the, the news apps and frantically searching uh, COVID-19. Uh, and just like switch your brain off for a little bit. What are you doing? Calm down a wee bit. Because um, this is the Slacker Podcast. And what we will offer you is nothing but love. Nothing but joy. Nothing but peace. Um, and an interview. An interview this week with um, the mighty Fontaine's DC. I kind of feel like they popped out of nowhere uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, released an absolutely incredible uh, debut album called Dogrel. I've been following them since the very start. I've seen them play a little gig in Dublin a couple of years ago, and I saw them play uh, a, a small gig in Cork as well. Like, they were always sort of like tip for greatness. I remember hearing Boys in the Betterland very, very early days and thinking, wow, right, this band, they got something about them. Um, so I kind of tracked both of them down. Well, both, I said, two two of the members off the band down, uh, Curly and Connor Deegan uh, from Fontaine's DC, uh, before they played their show, at the Concord 2 in Brighton, which was a mighty fine show, uh, by the way. Shout out to Collie, who's the manager of the Gaelic team I played with. I dragged along for that gig. Um, we went and had four Burger Kings afterwards, which is not nothing to nothing to do with this podcast whatsoever. But all, all I have to do say is that I'm still wearing the Burger King hat right now. I'm still the king. Um, we've also got a Patreon now as well. It's patreon.com forward slash the Slacker podcast. If you have been enjoying the podcast and maybe you've listened to all the episodes or you've just listened to a couple and you want to support the making of the podcast, then you could throw me a, a couple of beans um, on the Patreon, like enough for like a cup of tea a month, which which, which really isn't that much. Um, I've gone completely DIY with the podcast and have been spending a significant amount of money on equipment and uh, and just travel, get, get into the to the each interview so uh yeah if you want to sort of give something back then go to patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast and if the patreon takes off the way i hope it would um then season four will be a no-brainer 
if it doesn't, then this might be the last season. I don't know. I'm just being completely open and honest with you from the very beginning. Um, also, there's a Slacker Guide to the Music Industry, which is um, a book I wrote about the, the music industry and about how you go about releasing music and how you go about sort of figuring out the very difficult things that are hard to figure out in your musical career. So if you're, I don't know, if you're starting out in a band and you've got like a an EP and you're sort of scratching your head going... Uh, I don't really know what to do about a press release. I'm not quite sure uh, how to get this to a label. I don't know what's. I don't know that. I don't know this. Well, I interviewed seventy of the the greatest of the the music industry, but thirty or forty amazing artists like Run the Jewels and Loyal Carner and um, Slaves and Charlie XEX and George Ezra, um, and then on the music industry side of things, like the best promoters in the game, the best PR in the game. Uh, the best managers in the game, the best labels in the game, and I stuck it all together in one place. So if you want to buy it, do not buy it on Amazon because fuck those guys. Um, go straight uh, through my website, philtaggartslacker.com. Uh, just, just cut Amazon out. Jeff Bezos has enough money as it is. Um, that's it, right? I'm, I'm done slabbering. I've, uh, said, I've said my piece. I hope you're all well, and I know that this is a very difficult time for... For a lot of you, but if you all pull together and just entertain yourselves, like I, I, like I go mad if I have more than one day sitting in the house. So I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to do with all this like spare time in the middle of the day. I think I'm going to start writing. Yeah, I'm going to start writing. I don't know what I'm going to write. I'm going to write maybe a new chapter of the Bible. Uh, who knows? But uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to start doing something productive. Can't just sort of sit here and freak out looking at twitter all day it's not really good for your mental health is it okay i'll shut up now isn't it is it clear that i'm starved of attention already that i'm just sitting chatting away i probably could do, do this for a full hour um right i'll leave you to the slacker podcast with fontaine's dc in three in two in one Ladies and gentlemen, I am in the tour bus of Fontaine's DC. Who have we got? Um, Connor Curley. Connor Deegan. I got Connor Squared. Connor Squared. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How's lives, lads? He's well. Pretty good, yeah. I mean, it can't it can't not be good. I'm sitting in a, a an actual tour bus. I haven't been in an actual tour bus in like in forever. In forever? Yeah. Why, when was the last time you were in the tour bus? <laughs> I think I was in the Krebs tour bus a couple of years ago. Oh, nice. And it, was, it wasn't even like doing interviews. Like, I was just sort of sitting down the back drinking their beer. How does ours compare to theirs? Oh, is this like a pissing contest, is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just mean, is it dirty? Is it, <laughs> is it better than ours? I think the, the lighting system is always what, you know, attracts me to yeah. a good tour bus. I always expect when you come into a tour bus for there to be like... Uh, just drug paraphernalia and and um, all sorts of like just beer bottles and everything. And you guys are fairly tidy and along with it. Maybe I'm just going off the old school rock and roll image of the 70s. Yeah, we're very tame these days, you know, connect four. <laughs> yep. Greens, grannies, cakes just got thrown out yesterday. Yeah. Snakes, snakes and ladders should be arriving tomorrow. I mean, it's all kicking off. Yeah, This is what happens when you get voted the number one album of uh, Rough Trade for the year and Six Music for the year. You get snakes and ladders. Yeah, you immediately become a middle-aged person. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to start with a, an early song of yours, so I'm going to blast in a little, play, uh, a little bit of this. You know I love that.
That was Fontaine's DC and um, Liberty Bell. Is that the first ever single that you guys put out? Yeah, it is. What's like the, the sort of timestamp on on something like that? Um, we released it in May 2017. God, it's, a lot has happened in a, a short period of time, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Like that that Liberty Bell track. Like why why was it the first one that you decided to put out out of all the songs that you you wrote? Um, I mean, it kind of we were a very different band at that time. We were we were a lot more kind of uh, well, we still are influenced by these things, but at, at that time we kind of wore the influences of like fifties and sixties garage rock on our sleeves, you know. And uh, out of all the songs that we had that were that kind of style, that was the one that kind of seemed to be more original or more us, probably mm. because of Graham singing in it. And yeah, and as well, it was uh, the first song that we wrote that was about Dublin, and it, that seemed to be something. Once we once that clicked with us, um, it just felt like. That was a part of us then, that and uh, it really made us, you know, stood out to against the other songs and it made it seem like the natural choice. And like the, I mean, the album basically became a sort of, uh, 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 do you love me? Do you not? Sort of uh, affair about Dublin City. Um, what was it that sort of made that song stand? What's the significance of it? Because Liberty is like, it's like that's an area or something in in Dublin, is it? Yeah, the Liberties is an area in Dublin uh, where we all went to college and we all lived for a few years. And what sort of area was it? Like, was it a uni area? Was it a rough area? Um, a bit of both, actually. Um, mm. It was it was an area that was starting to become gentrified, but still had its communities, and it would have been a bit poor. Yeah, um, but it was just really lively, and or still is really lively. But I mean, a bit more gentrified. But anyway, it's. Uh, just felt like the real Dublin still. What about getting that song sort of like recorded and things at like at the very beginning? Because like I, I've I've seen you from the from the the very start. I've seen you about like maybe the beginning of two thousand eighteen, end of two thousand seventeen. Um, there was no real growing pains like a lot with you. Like you've obviously like you know you've changed changed sound a little bit and you've like come to know yourselves a little bit better and come to trust your own instincts. But you, even from the very beginning, everything was sounded good. Like there was no real period where a lot of bands go through where everything's a little bit shit, or at least it wasn't on <laughs> on the face of things to me. Yeah, we were very we were very simple, and I think that like that um, we've taken that idea with us now. Whenever we do anything like that kind of simplicity, like we didn't have tuners or anything. We just tune the guitar, go on stage, play a whole set, and hope that it stays in. You know. <laughs> For well, sure, yeah, we did that for two years. Yeah, but then it comes to a point when your guitar's gone out of tune during the track, or you, like you guys must have fucked up quite a few times at the start to to have got you to the point where you take it a little bit more professionally. No, I think it just got to a point where Carlos was really pissed off at us for scabbing his tuner at the start of the gigs, <laughs> and he said, "You really need to get tuners." And then we got signed by Partisan, so we had no excuse yeah. to not get yeah, them. Yeah. It was really that point. It was literally we up to like, getting uh, <laughs> being signed, though, and that's, it's, it's funny to think of that. Like. We, we literally did KXP in Seattle, and we didn't have tuners. Oh, we didn't we have tuners. Yeah. Isn't that mad? Like, like you, yeah. like Oasis get signed and they get brown Rolls Royces, and you just get signed and get tuners. That, 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 was, that was actually probably the scariest thing, like that doing that KXP in Seattle. And it being nerve wracking because of all the cameras and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was my it was my first time in America as well, and like playing the songs, and not having a tuner and just being like, I really <laughs> and it was a rented guitar as well, so I didn't know how 
like how it was gonna go down yeah yeah that like, was actually i remember actually that whenever we finished that i've never felt that kind of sigh of relief i've seen know? i've seen bands come on my on, on my radio show like um when i used to do a thing called the live lounge late where we used to get loads of artists on and they play live I've seen some of the biggest artists absolutely crumble like when mm. when they go to play live especially when they have to play a cover because obviously playing your own songs quite quite easy because you you've got muscle memory and you're doing it every single night but when when you have to go live on the radio and play a cover of X Y or Z everybody's sort of sitting around there half half kind of rehearsed going shit this is going live <laughs> um so when the, the the band began did it did it sort of like uh did it kick off very like naturally like it, it started in bim did it yeah um we were all me curly carlos and green were all in the same class in songwriting in bim and tom was in our year doing drums and it's kind of st- i th- i feel like it started with me texting you guys about an idea for a, a punk like doing a punk beatles band mm. um and then we started jamming that, and that was, became... Was, was that the, the text? It was like, I want to start a punk band that sounded like the Beatles? So, m- melody and ferocity? Kind of, yeah. And then I, I said that to Curly one night when we were out drinking, he said, man, if you ever want to start that band, give me a text. Yeah, I think we were all... Because we were all maybe like working on our own songs at the time, so I think it, it took someone just to kind of do that, being like, do you want to work together? Because I think we were all kind of like, oh, I'm working on my own project, and... You know, I think like Green was saying to me at one stage, he he was like, uh, "I'll produce some of your music for you or something." But like, it just we needed. Can, can, can Graham produce? Is he a good producer, or did he just yeah, like? He's yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, really, really good. Um, when when you get together though, like if you're all working on your own projects, is it is it hard to get into that room when you're in the practice room and throw the egos out? Because if everybody's coming in with their own specific bits, is it very hard to initially get into a collective? Hmm. Well, when Curly was saying that there, he was kind of talking about when we started off. Mm. Um, from when we started off and when we were started writing songs that were actually songs with legs, there's a couple of years there, you know. Really? So, so what? Like what? What year did you just like hit the first practice in? Um, twenty fifteen, twenty fourteen. In was it late twenty fourteen or early twenty fifteen? Um, something like that. Early 2015, I think. Mm. My memory is really bad. Did you Did you see university through? Did all of you like uh, everyone except me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened, you? Um, I just, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I just was enjoying Dublin a bit too much, <laughs> and uh, kind of ended up just uh, working in bars and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, you know, college life isn't for everyone. Yeah, no, I know. Like, I, I, I think I. I got like a two-two after about four years of trying at a two-year degree, so yeah. <laughs> it hits you a little. It was a media study, so I'm I'm still working on a microphone, so it hasn't gone completely. It wasn't completely remiss uh, yes. of everything. Yeah. Um, you have all of you like sort of worked in bars along the sort of journey. Um, not all of us. Me and Curly, definitely the most out of everyone else. Mm. But we've all had, you know, your manager Trev, like, uh, is the sort of head honcho at a, a bar and. Dublin, isn't he? Yeah, he he manages Garage Bar and Workman's. Yeah, um, all the lads other than me worked the door there. Yeah, at some stage, mm-hmm. um, I was just working in a restaurant in town. Yeah, that was very recent actually, just for an extra few. Because whenever we kind of left, um, or whenever we got signed and we were starting to try to put this album together, we were on such low wages like that. Yeah, it was really hard to survive. So we just we did the door and Workman's. We'd take turns and we'd get fifty euro cash. And it was funny because there'd be people coming in through the door who were like fans of our band. Like, oh, <laughs> you're you're know, sending them away? Yeah, they'd, be like, they'd be like, um, Did you, you, you shouldn't have to do this, you're in, a, you're in a band and all this kind of stuff. And then like, it's it's insane to be like, oh yeah, this five euro to come in. Yeah. You know, like taking five euro. Off but that's the that's the fallacy that um, a lot of people don't understand when it comes to, to, to bands and music. It takes, like, I mean... A lot of bands don't make any money for a long, long time, and a lot of bands don't make any money full stop. It, yeah. Like there's, it's it's a very difficult life, and um, I mean, you guys are are, are doing really well because you've got like a great fan base, and you know, and you write great songs, and you're getting to that bit, and you're getting to the bit where all bands should be, where they're like, you know. But like, at what point did you stop sort of like working at the door, or is that something that will still continue? Do you reckon? Um, 
I don't think we have stationary enough lives to be able to work the door of anywhere other than a door of a, <laughs> do, door do of a hotel room. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe you could this bus, maybe, maybe you bus. could like we're tonight we're in Brighton. Maybe maybe you could like do the door on the way in. Just yeah, I, yeah, ID yeah. people going. Yeah. <laughs> I was always a bit advanced, actually. You know, I was I was going to wait for a few years, but could start early. These are kind of like a. These are all really blow-ins, really, into Dublin in, in one shape or form, right? Yeah. Um, where where is everybody from in 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 the band? Well, the great irony of the situation is that while I might be known as the Mayo one and Tom as the Mayo one, we're the only ones who were actually born in Dublin. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, me and him were born in Dublin. I was born in I was born in uh, Hollis Street, and he was born in the Rotunda. Um, you were. I'm from Monaghan. Yeah, he's from Monaghan. Yeah. Carlos is from Spain, and Green was born in Barrow and Furness uh, yeah. in the north of England. Carlos from Madrid, just to. Just not yeah, to give him the completely the general. He's just Spanish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's from Madrid. Sorry, <laughs> Carlos definitely has the best. Um, he doesn't have much of a Spanish accent about him. Does our Carlos? Does he? No, no. He, he developed the Mayo one. I think pretty. He latched <laughs> onto the Mayo <laughs> one pretty quick. He moved in with Tom and then very quickly adopted the Mayo accent. Yeah. But then with the with the record, it sort of is so much around the about growing up, not growing up, but sort of like about, about Dublin City and and the experiences you've had within it. Does it give you a unique viewpoint? not being from there you know my mom moved to dublin when she was around my age as well and uh she says to me now as part of her advice you know the people in dublin think they know it all but they never know the names of the streets when you're asking for directions and um i think that's pretty true to uh anything about dublin really like um when you just move there you kind of s- see the trees for the leaves and experience you know you don't you're not as used to the people and the way they talk and the beautiful things about that or the negative things about um the inequality of for different people in their lives um homeless people or addicts Mm. so you really are an awful lot more open to it like i remember my my little sister moved up and uh she was heartbroken when she first moved up because she was stopping at every person who was asking her for money and and she was probably skint at the end of the she week. And she, yeah. yeah. So she she didn't know what to do because she was so open-hearted, but it's just one of the tough things about living in a city that you get used to it. I, I find that when I, when I moved to London, uh, it's very very similar. Like, you would stop by, a, by a, any homeless person, um, give them money, you'd be on the tube, you'd be speaking to people on the tube, and they'd think you're a psychopath. Mm. You'd, you'd be like, going, hello, how's it going? <laughs> and they'd be like going, are you going to stab me? Fuck off. But <laughs> it's, it's nice, though, that kind of... Uh, but na- you've only naivety got, almost. You, you know? only have a certain amount of time to have that naivety, and it's only about a year or two before you like you, you kind of put the blinkers on a little bit to what's what's kind of going around it, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really sad in ways, you know. I mean that you ca- you have to close yourself off emotionally from people around you, and that you're faced with um, people asking you for change every day, um, or people who are addicts, you know, this kind of thing, because. Uh, because of the inequality, like there's nothing that anyone does about it, and it's just always a constant. And it's uh, something that we thought about a lot when we were writing our album, like you know, that the fact that it's all every day and it's cyclical, and that you're trapped in that situation. Is there, is it endemic of of Ireland in in 2019? Like, do you, for somebody listening who's never never been or wants to know what it's like, is is it? Is is it a positive place to live? Is it a is it a negative place? Is it a backwards place? Like um, I, I kind of feel on one hand you'll have um, the repatriate movement, and on, on the other you'll have the massive yeah, corporate I, greed. I mean, like yeah, there, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely some positives in the way that um, you know the the young uh, the youth in Dublin seem to be trying to invigorate a lot of you know social change, but it's um, yeah, it's kind of hard. To an- like f- I find it hard to answer that about uh, Ireland sometimes because we we have been so thrown all over the place. You know, that's it's hard for me to gauge what it's actually like anymore. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, the the answer, if I asked any of my friends, it's all a bit of crack. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, no, it's really not. I think Irish people got very used to finding the humour and the blackness and the bleak, and um, I don't think that what happens today in Irish society is any different emotionally than what happened 200 or 300 years ago for us. I think that we've come to learn to accept negativity as a part of life and to find some humour in it. I think that's what your friends are doing. Yeah, well, I think I think a lot of the a lot of my favourite writers um, use that humour. Like Flan O'Brien would be one of my favourite 
writers. He's a sort of writer from Straban. Um, he yeah. like, grew up in Dublin, and some of the stuff, like I mean, like it's so dark, but you, you're splitting your sides laughing about the real shit situation that this family are in or whatever. And I think that's or sums it up perfectly. Like you, you, like the Irish sort of um, literary way is to sort of find the the light in the dark. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's quite a thing to have as your cultural identity. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not exactly all roses, but it's definitely good for uh, dealing with the more negative things in life in a positive way. Big time. Um, uh, the I wanted to talk about a little bit about the sort of influences that went around the the album, sort of sonically, because a lot a lot has been made about the sort of literary. Um, side of the band, I definitely do want to sort of touch on that as well. But like, what when when you joined and you were all bringing your sort of music to the table and you were sitting in the pub and you were like, go and listen to this, listen to that. What were those records? Um, for for me anyway, it was a lot of music that I was discovering at that time. Um, prior to that, my music taste was kind of, you know, very just very vague of certain more kind of acoustic uh, things that I was into. But then whenever I started listening to Kind of went back chronologically and started with like Buddy Holly. You know? See, I, I w- when I first saw you play live, I thought you sounded, I thought you had that kind of like yeah. Americana um, style to you. Like I, I think I saw you play in um, the bar that Trev manages. What's uh, it called? Work- Workman's. The Workman's. Um, uh, to like a, a about a hundred people or whatever, and it had that sort of rockabilly kind of sound to it. Yeah, I was wearing the glasses back then as well, though. But um, yeah, and then like sixties garage, you know, through to and then like the Stooges was like a massive one for me. Listening to Raw Power, I think that was like uh, whenever I lived with Green and Tom for a while. I remember they had that album, and we just I'd listen to it on the vinyl player, and it like blew my head off. Like the guitar playing and the 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 production, like everything's just ramped up to you know turns red. Like I think they're like a the Stooges are one of those very very. They're one of those bands that come along once in a lifetime. Yeah. Like have, having a guitar player and having a Iggy Pop in the same band's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I mean, like we were we were listening to Funhouse backstage two shows ago. Yeah, it's crazy how good that album is. Oh, it's like, it's insane, you know. Scott Scott Williamson or whoever's uh, playing guitar on that album is just screaming, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just singing, like. What were the sort of bits that you were bringing? Um... Well, to be honest, when we formed the band, I was listening to a lot of Motown stuff and a lot of soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and my experience of the start of our band was us getting into loads of bands together. So we got into Oasis and Pistols and basically everything that Trev plays at the Workman's, <laughs> he introduced to us. <laughs> like He would have introduced us to Happy Mondays and mm. Primal Scream and The, the Fall. The fall Isn't that not quite, quite late in life to get into Oasis? Like, or like, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe like, uh, like Oasis have kind of always been in, in the, my periphery. But, but they, I think they kind vision. of had this like weird um, kind of dry off period after they were like really big where no one really wanted to yeah. say that they listened to Oasis, Oasis until like, I don't know. Say, like, uh, I mean, out of all of the ago. bands that you'd, like you, you'd mentioned, I think like Oasis and Happy Mondays kind of shocked me a little bit. Like I, um, I just didn't, I didn't have his pen as Oasis heads. I think that there is something we learn we wanted to take from every band that we listened to that in those times. Mm. And there was something about the ambition that Oasis had really early on um that the ambition was even within so genuine that it was sometimes even in their songs. Mm. Um that really we we really uh, inspired us because we were in Dublin in a culture of bands just starting after all that folk scene of like of the folk troubadour singer songwriter mm. and they were all very self-deprecating and uh you know the the culture would be you'd show up to a gig and someone would talk to the microphone and go okay my name is this thing and the, these are my songs and thanks very much for coming and they're all very humble and they're all you know self-deprecating as i said but that's no attitude for a rock and roll band to have i don't think this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I think that, yeah. you, you know, when you see, uh, there, there's no reason that you can't be happy with the music you're making and confident in the music you're making and think that you're good luck. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I think it, like uh, as a yeah. as a as a nation, we are very quick to put put each other down when when some, somebody's doing doing quite well. Like, but yeah, you you, yeah. you don't you don't come out in interviews the same way that like maybe Oasis did back in the day when we're going to be the greatest band in the world. It, fe- it feels like your confidence is more behind closed doors. It's more private than that. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> no, it definitely is. I mean, like after our first rehearsal, like I remember Green saying that we, we are the best band in the world or something. I remember that it was like so awkward yeah. for me to be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, we are the best band <laughs> in the world. I think yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sorry if I'm. Yeah, it was so yeah. weird. He, we were all starting saying it as a joke, but even yeah. though we were saying it as a joke, I did feel really uncomfortable saying it at first. Yeah, and then it just becomes normal, and then it starts to become like a mantra that you said that you, mm-hmm. we said to ourselves. Um. We started to take it a bit more seriously. Yeah, probably like it definitely kept us doing music. You know, like but if you want to be the best band in the world, then what? At what stage in your career are you at now, and how how much can it grow? I don't how think much? It's, do, I don't, how it's, much? It's do not you really. Want it to it's grow? not really about the end point. Though yeah. it, was, it was the fact that it was at the start. Like it doesn't. I don't really care about. But you, where the, it goes? But like. Like I, I felt like we were in the best band in the world when we were playing, doing a sound check in Roaching Dove. Mm. Like I remember us playing. Was it a, like a blues jam or the Stones or something? Yeah, or just yeah. the way it felt to play just made me feel like we were the best band in the world. But does that change? Like now, now that you have, um, I mean, whether you sort of care about it or not, you have like the the validation of you know certain publications and certain radio stations and certain record stores, like with the number one albums and all that. Does that validation mean that you're on the right track, or is it something that kind of just is coming with it? I'm not really sure. It, I mean, I am asking you this about maybe what five days after you just f- found out um, the six music and the rough trade thing. So yeah. maybe it's not long enough for time for it to digest. But th- is the confidence the same? Like as in, like from the first practice till right now. I think it's the kind of stuff that you ha- that you can appreciate and be thankful for, but that you shouldn't really take to heart too much because I think it's just kind of n- negative pressure, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's healthy. Uh, ego like I think there's a difference between someone being self-confident in the art they're making and uh, the way they express themselves and then uh, you know getting um, their their sense of self-worth from someone else and I don't think that that's uh, while while nice to get is important or good for you to do Mm -hmm. to take on board I can't wait to get nominated for a Brit Award and get up and not don't accept it. <laughs> Actually, that's a question there. You, you, you said it, not us. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like an, an Irish band, you're very, um, very uh, proud of being Irish. If you got nominated for a Brit and 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 won it, would you accept it? Uh, it's, it, that's definitely never crossed my mind. Yeah, you're, I never thought putting, about it. You're putting some thoughts in my head now. I tell you what, you, d- you don't have to answer it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go past it just in ca- just in case. <laughs> um, 
is traditional music something that plays a part in in the role of the band like the traditional you know as in traditional sessions and you know rebel music irish rebel music is that something that you play or or talk about um traditional music is definitely a massive uh catalyst for us you know whenever we, like got seriously into luke kelly and the dubliners and to honestly feel that music and um it really helped us because we wanted to have that influence on our own alternative, you know, guitar music. Mm. To be able to have that and make it different, you know. And the Pogues as well was well, the, po- the Pogues are that. Da- I can, out of, out of most things, I can hear a lot of Pogues in, in your music, specifically mm. the, the last song on the album. Is it Dublin City Sky? Yeah. It's a, that, I think that's a masterpiece of a tune. Like it's my favorite, tr- it's made my favorite track on the whole, whole record. I think it's, it's very incredibly emotive. I'm sorry to hear about your um, troubles in Barcelona. You got all your gear nicked. Ah oh man, this this stuff happens. Yeah. This happens to so many bands, and we didn't get any instruments robbed. You know, it's just it's just stuff that you know can be replaced, laptops and stuff like that. But like, I mean, the, the feeling of having to go on and do a show after after having all your stuff nicked must be like, what am I gonna, what am I coming back to? What am I wearing tomorrow? <laughs> Definitely felt the uh, more aggressive songs anyway, for sure. <laughs> but um, did you did you yeah. did you play a little bit harder on that Barcelona show? Definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Drank a little bit harder as well. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, we touched on it earlier on the sort of KEXP session in Seattle. Am I saying mm. that right? Oh, I, I always feel like I get my like my KEXP KEXP KEXP. I feel like I get my acronyms wrong, especially with America. There's so many of them. It's KC or W Eagle here. Yeah, um, that that felt like something that was a real catalyst for for you lads, like a real sort of starting off point almost for the, like outside of Ireland. I mean, yeah, it was one of the really big moments when we used to have uh, weekly meetings with Trev, and he'd bring us up to a room in the workman's in the middle of the day and uh, tell us what had come in, and it might be you know an interview with somewhere or a gig somewhere. And uh, we really had only played London twice, and everywhere else we played was just around Ireland, so Mm. we hadn't really done much yet. And he said, I just got an email from a guy called John Richards, um, who's a host on KEXP, and he says he loves Boys in the Badderland, and uh, he wants, if you can find your way over to Seattle, I can guarantee you a session. And so we hadn't really gotten much interest at that time yet. I think I remember speaking to Trev before this because he was just he was saying that you were about to go over and, and do it. I think he's were playing a gig in Cork, maybe. Um, and yeah, so how did you get over to sort of Seattle and where did it take from there? Sorry, I cut you off. Honestly, uh, Trev lent us money mm. for yeah. the flights, so he's a, our savior like that. Um, we got the visa waivers and pretended we were. Oh no! Do you know what? Actually, they wouldn't have let us go over unless we uh, got uh, working visas. So. KXP invented a competition for us to enter so that we could go over yeah. on the visa waivers. And so there's now a competition for international bands to go over. It's a real thing. Yeah, and, and their lawyer like found some loophole found because loophole, they, yeah. they'd had trouble with it before. Jesus well. Christ, like how much did this guy really want you to play on this <laughs> show? I don't think, like, I mean, I've, from doing radio for about seven or eight years, I don't think I've ever in, invented a competition <laughs> for, for a band or challenged a legal loophole. You know, I think it was one of their, uh, it was a movie in their mind and that they finally got to, to defeat their nemesis that is the American government. <laughs> yeah. U.S. border control. The U.S. border control, yeah, because yeah. what who's the band before? Soviet, uh, Soviet. Yeah, the who, Italian band, are they? I don't know, but uh, yeah. it was Soviet, Soviet. Anyway, they weren't uh, let through and they were going over for a KXP, so it's been happening for a while. Oh, yeah. that's gotten... It's the same with uh, South by Southwest as well. A lot of the bands that try to go over there usually... Uh, getting in some kind of trouble because they don't have the right paperwork with them or whatever but it is mad like because like i mean for a band at that at your situation then it's not like even if you were getting paid it wasn't going to be more than 75 dollars or 50 dollars like it's not yeah. it's not going to really do much to you like yeah how do you how have you, how have you found like playing in america is like has that been a a big thing for the band or yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of cool i mean like it's kind of just like starting over again i suppose mm. you know like the like we're playing like 500 caps rooms so it's whereas like over in like we just played in Kentish Town form uh, I don't know like 
it's always been a dream to tour America. It probably is for any band, you know, mm-hmm. from UK or Ireland or Europe or whatever. But um, yeah, the 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 last tour that we did was probably one of the most enjoyable tours I've ever been on. It was just organized really well. We did two shows in New York, one in Brooklyn and one in Manhattan. And they're probably my favorite shows that we played. I mean, the, the amount of work that you, you boys have put into this already, because, I mean, most bands will release an album and they'll tour the album for like 12 months, 18 months, um, and that's it. But when you're at the very beginning stage, before you put your first album out, you have to tour re- relentlessly to get any sort of a fan base there and then your album comes out and then it's 18 months on top of it so I'm sure like a lot of you had to put um, outside things and outside life on hold a little bit to to follow this yeah I mean you know the guys have to you know they have to almost put their relationships on hold in certain ways like Mm. it can be uh really tough like i mean i certainly am really looking forward to getting back for christmas now to reconnect with my family like i feel like i've really drifted away from them mm. you know it's there are sacrifices involved you know it is it's homesickness something that, that sort of bonds you together really like i mean is it can can you stave off homesickness when you're in a band with a lot of other irish boys yeah, well, I mean, y- you know, you get really used to being around the guys, so it's it's like even though you're in a different place, so you're kind of the same place. And you're playing a gig every day, and there's the same people around you, so it's actually not as bad as you might think. But yeah, you do. You definitely have a kind of family as romantic as that seems. I was trying to avoid saying yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're okay, we're a massive family. We all love each other, and it's all <laughs> really <laughs> wholesome. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, like it, it is hard though. Like just yeah, thinking about your family and. Uh, obviously thinking that you're neglecting those kind of relationships is obviously really hard but to be honest being 25 and being able to travel this much being from where i'm from is like such a such an amazing thing and well I if you take it for granted if like you that. hadn't if you hadn't have been on tour um with the band and you're a 25 year old from where you're from you probably would have moved to australia by now right yeah probably <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah where would you be i mean everybody of a certain age it either goes to dublin or, or fucks off to another country yeah god i but don't know what i'd be doing i don't want to think about it <laughs> <laughs> you do like i've been asked that question myself and it's like it's like i have no idea i'm literally doing the one thing that i think that i'm put on earth here to do like the idea of doing anything else is i'd be terrible at literally everything else yeah have you uh, have you done other jobs that you've been absolutely shy at? i think i counted like i'd done 27 jobs over over the years before i started on the radio and i've probably got fired or sacked from them all (laughs) (laughs) what what about yourselves apart from doormen uh i'm fairly similar uh i've had service industry jobs but i kind of didn't really succeed in it because of a terrible attitude because uh, <laughs> was very um was under the impression that i was gonna make it in music <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah well, i think that that confidence is like a, is is what you need in it it does factor into other parts of your life as well um so the that the album name doggirl i've never heard that that um that name anywhere before normally like yeah right. what what like what does it mean it I'm sure you've been asked this a million times. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um, Some straight-up journalism here, guys. <laughs> you heard Basically, it. <laughs> um, you heard, heard it here 21st time. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading about um, old Irish, uh, f- you know, history, poem forms and different things like that. And I was reading about the Boer War and... Uh, in South Africa and when the Fusiliers were sent over the Dublin Fusiliers there was a song written about them and some poetry written about them um, from the perspective of people living in Dublin um, mm-hmm. so for when they left and when they came back and uh, it was called Doggerel and uh, actually um, I also heard about it uh, the, the, there's this exhibition there was this exhibition on in Dublin um about flags and I know that might sound pretty boring but they were all not these if you're <laughs> from where I'm from <laughs> <laughs> flags they were all these uh, really embroidered flags of, um, of different scenes from the rising and different such things like that yeah and um, the guy who was giving the tour just told a, a just a rhyme about uh, people smuggling guns over the Irish Sea and uh, he said oh that's a piece of doggerel and it stuck with me and um, that's why I looked up the stuff about the Boer War but um 
Anyway, uh, the point is, is that uh, the idea of it being um, working class poetry, about being street poetry, and uh, it was really appealing to me because, and to us, because it's kind of like reclaiming this this form that is seen as like for the higher classes or for the really well educated. Um, this poem that is taken from its roots as human expression and turned into something as an expression of like you know you're better than other people or you're more intelligent and uh, that's that was our approach to poetry when we um first started writing those books of poetry uh years before when uh we were just taking back poetry and using it to express what was happening to us did the, did each of you wrote because they uh for the sort of un, uninitiated like you you had two um books isn't the right word there's a there's a word for the style of book that you put out isn't there What's it called? Um, our label have it listed as a chapbook. A chapbook. But I've never that, heard that, that's a very it. American sounding Is word. Is it? I've never heard that before. I, maybe that's where, where I saw it. Um, so your chapbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when your books of poetry, your two books of poetry, um, did you each like? How does this work? Like, did did you each contribute poems to it? Like, was this something that everybody in the band did, or uh, everyone except me? I was. I can't remember what I was doing. I think you I were was, in Berlin. I was in Berlin, and I was yeah, I was working a lot before that. I was writing poetry at the time, but I just I wasn't involved in the lads putting that together. Um, when we w- were making them, we were basically going around the pubs in Dublin, drinking and writing um, freely about our lives and our feelings, and uh, sharing them with each other and sharing books with each other, and uh, decided that we were gonna make a book in a kind of DIY punky way just put it all together and then put on an event to read it and um, sell it and try and get it put in the bookshops around Dublin and <laughs> uh, we did actually get it yeah. put in a few bookshops and that kind of thing you know? it kind of feels like you're almost l- less of a band thrown, up, thrown together in, in music college and more of a bunch of kind of unlikely beatniks that have kind of like wandered into each other's life <laughs> do you know what I mean like, yeah. like that, that sort of um you do have a very beat style along uh, like you know writing poetry and and playing in bands and i'd imagine drinking a lot of guinness as well <laughs> yeah sure yeah. but those are very like that, the beats were obviously one of the first um kind of subjects or that was like the connected ja- yeah jack Kerouac, you know like all those books that so many young people get into now and you know talk about life but um yeah that's that's it's, what it's it was about. it's just a very free form of writing and it's kind of very liberating to see to to think about um to think about um like poetry and literature like that as it not being such a defined thing and th- that, that anything that you say is right you know i i spent uh, quite a long time quite a couple of months when i was about 19 right reading lots of bukowski and i turned into a right wee prick <laughs> for uh, for about two three months uh, the right bastard right um Did you talk about your dick loads oh i still do <laughs> i still do i was gonna get to that towards the end um we are on a tour bus after all um but uh that idea of being impressionable and being 19 and, and taking that in do you feel that like reading and art in particular can change you as a, a person for the good or for the bad well, uh, after your story, I can see that it can definitely change you for the bad. <laughs> I, I would have thought it was just all positive, but uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm, I'm just I'm offering up a yin to the yang or whatever. Like, sure. But like with, with, with when you start reading, beat poetry and and Karawak and things like that, that, does does it connect with you in a way that maybe Ireland and growing up didn't? I think that that just gave us a way of expressing our feelings and uh, being okay with them. You know. A lot of the time when you're in school and you're learning about poetry, you're not just learning about the feeling that Yeats is trying to express. You're learning about why this is good poetry or all these poetic techniques. And because of that, it makes it quite academic and it can put a degree of separation between the idea of it being art as an expression of human emotion or feeling or experience and changing into a a, a thing of rigidity. And so reading the beats and learning to write in those styles reclaim was it was a method of reclaiming it for us and mm. making it a uh, you know just a pure as pure as it's supposed to be are you telling me that you're not a massive fan of iambic pentameter <laughs> i am i am <laughs> <laughs> big pentameter uh, <laughs> but uh like i i had 
English was the only subject in in school that I really connected with in a sort of deep way. And and when you sort of because like you read a lot when you when you're at school. I mean, I did a little bit of a university as well, and a lot of it is around the actual lives. And I f- found out that I was probably as interested in the say the poetry of W. B. Yeats as I was around the fact that he had a total hard on from odd gone, and that she wouldn't even touch him with a <laughs> t- touch him with a fifty foot barge pole. Oh, like. uh, so oh, it's so bad up. But we've yeah. laughed about that so many times. Well, and then he ends up with her. I don't think he did. I think I think uh, he spent his whole life like just pining and pining and pining. Do you know what the most messed up thing is though? That like my daughter's granddaughter holds some kind of event now every year, uh, like to make basically make money off the fact that Yates was in love with her <laughs> um, grandmother and he never got with her. Like, so she's their family's actually profiting off that now. Could you like, generations from now? That's that's messed up. I've always like enjoyed. The, the one about Brenda Behan and how he would often come to his own plays that he'd written and would sit and sit, sit drunk and belligerently in the front row of the of the play shouting wrong uh, at them as they do it and calling it shite and throwing stuff at the stage I never heard about that that's know, absolutely that's, hilarious though I wish I could do that for it's our so gigs. funny yeah, yeah. well that, you, I mean, you'd have to get somebody up to play your part and yeah, just, yeah and I can be like wrong no 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 you're not you're not playing it right stop getting Fontaine's wrong <laughs> so what's the story did he pay into his own play just to do that or was he put on the guest list well, I didn't know he was coming like that's terrifying I think he would just sit, sit down there and just give off absolute stink about the not, it not being the way he is hey, Pat, Patrick Avenue was like that or was he? He used to go into all the bookshops around Dublin and, and, and give out to them because his book wasn't in the window and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, there's such a mad group of. I, and he would people. he would wreck the place as well. Yeah, yeah. You should do that. Like, we, I'll take you up to Resident Records tomorrow morning, and if they don't have the Fontaines um, twelve inch on on sale, actually, my books for sale in there as well. I'll help you. Um, we'll just, we'll, just, sure. we'll just go fucking mad bowl in a china shop okay I'll hold you to it <laughs> yeah, we, we were in there today actually so and we were quite pleasant so it'd be, ca- it'd be, it'd be kind of funny if we went in tomorrow and we're just we, like what the ah, f- I've, been <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I've been up all night <laughs> we we got some ideas from Philly Taggart yeah. <laughs> no don't 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 don't, don't name me um, so the, the the record's done incredibly we're all like you know I mean it, it must be difficult for you It'd be difficult for me in a way, like, but I've never had to be in this situation, like when you've got people giving you plaudits all the time, because like, yeah, I mean, I know like from myself and a lot of people I know that you you make them very proud of Ireland that there's a band breaking through, and and not only doing that, but you're also opening the floodgates for other bands. Is it like do do you feel like you've got a sort of a role in that now? Because like I feel like you do. Um. It'd be really great if we did have our own. It. I don't think we can say we can. I think that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, how to it's talk e- it's about that. yeah. It's it's kind of it seems like an unhealthy thing to kind of take on, and with, with especially with all as you were saying, um, praise and all that kind of stuff. I think we're still at the stage where we just find it unhealthy to kind of dwell on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you um, I mean like there's there's a ser- like serious cases and in the music industry with bands, you know, who run into difficulties with mental health and stuff like that. And I find it probably does have to do with the fact that you are getting praised and then someday, whenever that stops or yeah. it goes away for a while and you're not able to deal with it or you don't and have the facilities to deal with it. So And there, there is a, a fallacy to it. Like, you can't get praised the whole time yeah, <laughs> and yeah. get used to it. Because then, when it, you're right, when it, when it does stop. But then at the same time, it's like, it's when I used to listen to certain... DJs on certain stations and they would say everything was amazing and they'd say like every track was amazing 20 times in a row mm. by the time you say it like the 19th time you don't believe it anymore do you know you're just like well you think everything's amazing mm. but it must be yeah but like I, I mean like the, the sort of bands that you've been bringing through and um, that it seems to be in every article written about you which I quite I quite like I'm very I think it's very positive is that they'll write a big big piece on Fontaine's DC and the line of best fit or in Billboard or Rolling Stone or whatever it is, right? And then at the end of it, they'll be tagged on four or five Irish bands. Yeah. And it's great. Actually, like, it's that. really good. And I don't, you don't actually normally get that. And I think that's why that's happening because the journalists want to create a scene around you. And like, do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think that uh, that definitely is the case. Um, but you know, people love the pigeonhole things, and it's always journalists, and it's always DJs, and it's always because it's just yeah. easier to talk about, isn't it? Artists are always going to be frustrated with being pigeonholed. Like we were yeah. frustrated with being pigeonholed into the post post punk thing in Britain. Um, you're, not, you're not a post punk band. Uh, no, we're not. Um, but everybody calls you one. Yeah, that just seemed to be the buzzword of the whole yeah it's last just two years. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the idea of being like want, wanting to have a scene for all these bands is great for writers, but it's really harm harmful for the bands. Because yeah. if you think about all the really big music scenes like po- punk and all this kind of stuff, they have a you know they have a sell by date. You know they have a that's it. Like a scene shouldn't last longer than eighteen months. Yeah, because then once something dies then you'd be like oh that post-punk band isn't good anymore and people find it hard to continue on and then relabel themselves but it's all these people that have put the label on them I don't think you are in danger of that I think since the records come out uh, everybody knows what everybody knows that there's different textures to to the band like you know Sha 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 is a million miles away from Dublin City Sky is a million miles away from Big is a million miles away from Jackal Shrackless do you know what I mean like I don't feel like you're a very easily labelled band thank you for shame (laughs) (laughs) can't wait to the post-punk second album (laughs) yeah we're gonna really dumb it down yeah really we've been taking all the feedback in yeah 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 it's gonna be so post so so, so posty so posty Mm -hmm. Um, it must be exciting though because like you're you're I'm not sure, like, but your your lyrics meld around the music. It's all one thing to me. Like, it all feels like an energy rather than like going. This is put on top of that. Um, that must be exciting going into start a second record. Now I know, like, a lot of people go, "Oh, you can't talk about the second record yet." But you've had all those songs written for time. I'm sure you're like well into it. Mm. Yeah, we've uh, we've the whole thing written now. Um, Doggerel two. Yeah. So. Um, how do you know the name of it? <laughs> doggerel too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look who's doggerel too. <laughs> Electric doggerel. Um, is it exciting the process? Like, is it like uh, writing? D- yeah, as in like writing now, knowing what you know. Um, yeah, I mean, we did all the writing pretty much during the summer, and um, all the all the arranging. And it, yeah, it was great to get back. It was kind of scary at the start getting back into that kind of rehearsal space, you know, whiteboard with. 20 song names on it and you just kind of go through every one of them and and try and everyone has their own vision for what things should do and we come together but yeah our, our, our communication with each other is definitely we found that it was still really easy for us to you know work on stuff together that yeah. there was no like weirdness uh, after doing it because the, the first album had been written over a way longer period of time you know yeah. mm. well half of the first album had been written over like two years and the second half was written in about three months in the mm. summer was that when Trev was like you need to get an album finished <laughs> it's when we got signed so we could quit our other jobs uh, you know? are you okay yeah fair enough we could actually just go into the studio every day yeah and just just, just, just hammer it out yeah. are you going to play any live tonight here at yeah Concord we're going to play two yeah. Ooh, happy days. we've kind of been playing two at all the shows the two, on this changing up the two but yeah yeah alright yeah. well lads I'll, I'll keep using no longer because you've got um, two and a half hours till stage time and I want to go and dump all my gear and come back down and have a few pints and nice one pogo about sweet yeah. um, thanks thanks very much for coming on the podcast lads oh, no worries no bother are you going to pay me that bottle of book pass for aye big, uh, as long as you can drink it in one go really um, yeah, yeah, yeah no worries yeah. Right down the hatch. must be really small is it one of miniatures is finally over and sport is back on now tv it's lights out and away we go where you can watch sky sports premier sports and bt sport together and all without a contract what a fantastic part so whether there's a day week or whole month of action you just can't miss you can now stream the lot oh it's a fabulous goal this is your sport on your terms search now tv sports to find out more 18 plus content streamed via internet full terms apply 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.